Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Heard Tell. Ah, it's Heard Tell Show. It's Monday, February 28th, last day of February. Hope you all doing well. Andrew Donaldson, really appreciate y'all joining us. Hope you had a great weekend, even with all the craziness going on in the world. We're going to take a shot at turning down the noise of the news cycle on all the things that are going on. I'm going to talk a little Ukraine today. I'm going to talk about the Russian invasion. Of course, everybody's talking about it. Uh, great guest today. The way we're going to cover the election year for the midterms, we're going to go to the individual states. In some places, we're going to go to the localities. We'll even go to some cities. We're going to talk Senate races, House races, governor races. Uh, we're going to get into all that, but we want to talk to people at the source. So today we're going to talk a little Ohio, uh, the GOP Ohio Senate primary, getting a lot of attention for all the wrong reasons because of the way the candidates are conducting themselves. Our buddy Brady Leonard, uh, podcast host, No Gimmicks podcast, been a friend of ours a long time. One of the first podcasts I ever went on as a guest. Uh, he was one of those guys that told me I should go do a podcast. So happy to have him today. Going to talk a little Ohio politics with him. Also, we're going to preview the State of the Union speech, which is our annual dog and pony presidential show. So we'll touch on that briefly, how we're going to cover it, how we're going to discuss it, what our expectations are. Great story out of Hawaii. We always end the, the show on a happy or a good or an uplifting note. Uh, a food charity out in Hawaii. It's a bunch of stuff that I'm going to mispronounce, but what they're doing is great work helping people out. We always love to cover that. We're going to end the show with that. Also on the program today, we're going to talk a little foreign policy because one of you did what we always say, reach out, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Commenter on the YouTube page, ask the question. We're going to answer it. Going to talk a little foreign policy based off his question. A little big picture foreign policy, not just what's going on right this second. Uh, But first, let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. A lot of events happening over the weekend. Uh, The Ukrainians are holding as of the time that we are making this episode of Hertel. Of course, they are uh, several eight, nine hours ahead of us. Events are rapidly changing. Uh, The Ukrainians are holding up well. Uh, They're holding up better than a lot of people expected. Their bravery, the bravery of President Zelensky and their other leadership. want to caution you a little bit, though. The Russians are just now, the way logistics work, I tell you folks, logistics makes the world go around, especially in warfare. They're just now getting the main body of their army into the country. There's a lot of dark days ahead. Every minute, though, that the Ukrainians can hold out, it brings more pressure on Russia because it exposes the lies of this illegal war of aggression that they shouldn't be there in the first place. We are pulling for Ukraine. We are completely team Ukraine here against the evil, wicked Vladimir Putin and his unlawful war crime. By the book definition, a war of aggression is a war crime attack on Ukraine. But we need to be cautious. There's a lot to go yet. The Russians are just now getting their forces, the main body of their forces, into positions around the places that they really want to fight. They have the ability to level cities. Let's pray it doesn't go to that. They have really nasty stuff like thermobaric weapons. They also have raised their nuclear alert level as a threat to the rest of the world. 
dark days ahead for Ukraine, dark nights of fighting. We will continue to cover it. But I want to talk about a couple things that Vladimir Putin has done by invading Ukraine that he did not intend to do. He intended to invade Ukraine to get it because he's coveted it for a long time. We know all this. We've already covered it. But he's managed to do a couple other things that he didn't intend to do. One is he's fully unmasked himself for what he really is. Nobody of good faith can ever again say that Vladimir Putin is anything other than what he is, a thug dictator with imperialistic means. He is taking over countries because he wants to, not because he has any justification whatsoever, despite what he says on his propaganda machine. They're losing the propaganda war in Ukraine. Part of the brave resistance that they're throwing up is that the Ukrainians are winning the propaganda war and the Russians look more and more inept. We all thought that the Russian propaganda machine was one of the best in the world. Maybe they're not so good at it, especially when they have to spin lies out of whole cloth. So the world is getting to see Vladimir Putin for exactly what he is. Something else is happening, though. Uh, The Germans, uh, Olaf Scholz, we've talked about him, the Scholz machine, we jokingly call him because he's not the most charismatic guy. Go back and listen to the herd tell. We talked about the changeover from Angela Merkel to Olaf Scholz. Uh, it's one the back episode of her tell. Make sure you go listen to that to understand the dynamics. A title shift in European politics, an amazing speech in front of the Bundeswehr where he walks out. He says, we are going to spend on uh, military spending. We're going to go above our 2% that we have long held to. They're going to put a $100 billion one-time shot into defense. This is a big deal. We have argued, and there is some legitimate criticism that others have leveled at NATO that it was American-led and the other NATO countries didn't always pull their weight. That's a fair criticism. One thing that this invasion has done is it has woken up Europe, that they have gotten fat, dumb, and lazy under the largesse of America and NATO protection and haven't kept their own protective houses in order. And it looks like that's woke them up. Finland and Sweden and others are talking about joining NATO. Germany's talking about expending massive amounts of money to get their military house back in order that we already covered last week is having issues. The UK is reconsidering their positions. Uh, They have left with Brexit, obviously, but they have security concerns in the EU, and they're readdressing those now. NATO and Europe are not the same thing. We're using them interchangeably a lot in media right now, but understand they're not the same thing. But what comes next after this, because they see the threat that Vladimir Putin has leveled at them, maybe even better than NATO, maybe more focused than NATO, And after the largest of the last 30 years since the Cold War ended, where NATO has kind of just floated along, maybe it's time to trim it down and make something new and better. And Vladimir Putin may have unwittingly just done that. There's one more thing that Vladimir Putin did that he didn't expect to do. In his reasoning for this invasion, he went on an unhinged rant about how Ukraine was not a real country. They're not a real people. They don't have a national identity. Well, guess what, Mr. Putin? You did that. You've given them a national identity. The Ukrainian people now have something to rally around. Those images of mothers with their children taking up Kalashnikov rifles to defend their homeland. Teachers crying and leaving their students to go defend their homes in the streets and in the rubble of buildings that have been hit by your missiles and your tanks and your weapons and your airstrikes. That's ethos, mythology, building stuff for a people. For a young country that is still finding its way in the world, This is the stuff that legends are made of and national pride are made out of. No, Mr. Putin, you're wrong. The Ukrainian people do have an identity now. They're the people, and of all the world, who finally stood up and said, enough, we're going to fight you. You're not getting your way here. You can kill them, you can conquer them, you can pour thousands of troops into their country, and you can take it over temporarily. 
but you're not going to be able to break something that you just created unwittingly. You created a national identity in the Ukrainians because they're the people that stood up to you when almost nobody else would. And now you're seeing the rest of the world every day and every minute that they hold out rallying more and more to their side because it exposes the wickedness of you. So great job. You gave them exactly the thing that you claimed they did not have. So Vladimir Putin, from the bottom of my American heart and on behalf of freedom-loving people everywhere, you can go to hell. And I hope the Ukrainians help you get there. And glory to Ukraine. More Hurtel right after this. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Welcome back to Hurtel Show. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Appreciate you staying with us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you reach out to us, either commenting or leaving a rating or on like the Facebook channel for Big Talker Networks or on the YouTube page like Chris Weed did here in a minute. Uh, we want to hear from you. We'll respond to you. We'll even put you on the show. If you keep bearing, be nice about it. Love to hear from you. You can reach out to the show, Gmail, hurtelshow at gmail.com. Also find us on the Twitter at Hurtel Show, of course, my Twitter handle and the Twitter handle of all our guests show up in the lower third graphics. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out however you want to. But a uh, commenter, Chris Weed, reached out. He left this comment on the YouTube page we want to address. He said, interesting takes. You mentioned the failure of modern U.S. foreign policy several times. This is in reference to our conversation with Cassandra Shand last week. Go back and watch that if you want to. Talking Ukraine and Putin and global power dynamics and that sort of thing. Chris writes, can you expand on this at all? I don't necessarily disagree with your opinions of U.S. foreign policy effectiveness or American interests. However, I did not hear any examples or evidence of what you mean by this. Uh, now, of course, we could spend hours on this, a lot longer than we have in our little one-hour hotel program. But let me explain it to you this way, kind of in a broad texture uh, way. We've seen uh, foreign policy bad decisions and failures over the last few years. We can't say that the things in Afghanistan, a 20-year war with no logical conclusion and only chaos and death at the end, was anything but a foreign policy disaster. I would argue that not, pre not preventing the war that is currently going on in Ukraine when Putin did things like invade Georgia, invade Ukraine the first time and annexed Crimea, these sorts of things, you can do preventative measures to keep a little war into becoming a big war. That's a foreign policy failure. This is a bipartisan problem, by the way. I'm not just picking on President Biden. We've had a string of presidents who have made highly questionable to bad foreign policy decisions. But let's back up and talk big picture because we could talk about the individual ones. Everything needs context. After the Vietnam War, which everybody agrees was a mess, the United States military did something. They did some soul searching and they completely reinvented themselves top to bottom. They changed everything they did. They scrapped the draft. They went to all volunteer. They changed how they did the officer corps. They changed how they, everything about the military changed. But the military that the United States had in the 90s and the 2000s and up into the 2010s into the war on terror, undisputably the most powerful, most lethal military on the face of the earth. That didn't happen by accident. It happened because of the failures in Vietnam and the soul searching that the military did and the retooling and a lot of hard work they did. They asked hard questions of themselves and they answered it with actions. The problem is our government that controls that military never went through such process. They never went through any such soul searching. They just kept on doing what they were doing. So they had a much better equipped military to put in the field and to enact foreign policy, but they never fixed themselves on how to actually implement and handle that foreign policy. As we talked with, with Cassandra and we talked with a lot of other guests too, 
Foreign policy hinges on two things, cohesiveness and consistency. If you don't have a cohesive foreign policy consistently applied over years and years, you're going to have a mess on your hands because our allies don't know what to expect and our adversaries always have the advantage because now we will always be reactionary to them instead of the other way around. China works on 20- and 50-year plans. The old Soviet Union used to joke about seven-year plans and five-year plans and three-year plans. China's got a 50-year plan. And we change plans every four to eight years every time we change presidents. We might change plans every two years when Congress switches hands. This is built into our system. It's something we have to overcome. The point of it is, though, we should have a few things in our foreign policy that is overarching, bipartisan, and rises above everything else. We won the Cold War because regardless of who was president, it was understood that you needed to win the Cold War. No U.S. president of either party was going to get on TV and go, you know what would be great here? Let's lose the Cold War. They didn't say that because they knew you had to win it. There needs to be a few things that we get down hard on our foreign policy that everybody understands and that should be beyond politics. And that probably sounds Pollyannish. But can we agree on things like bad guys lose, we win because it's good for the world? That'd be a good one to start with. Could we start with countries that engage in wars of aggression and genocide and human rights violations are our adversaries and enemies, and we shouldn't do anything to enable them, and we should stand up against them as our providers, as the leading nation of the free world? That should be a pretty easy one. And yet we fail at it constantly. China, for example, buys human rights violations with its economic might. And because we like cheap goods, We keep our mouths shut about it, and they keep Europe at bay, and they keep other parts of the world at bay with their economic might so that they can abuse the peoples under their control. We saw it with Russia before they invaded the Ukraine, and people finally woke up to the dangers of Vladimir Putin. They cheated the Olympics. They encroached on other people's territory. They have gross human rights violations. Vladimir Putin and his thugs likes to kill journalists and dissidents and likes to do it in a public way using a poison that only they use to make sure you know that he did it. These are not good people. And yet we kidded ourselves into thinking that we can negotiate with them like a normal country. Cohesive and consistent foreign policy is a must if America is to maintain its safety and security and interests around the world. But we can't even be bothered to pay attention to it. And we elect unserious leaders who give it lip service and only pay attention to it when it suits their domestic partisan needs. The world does not hinge around partisan politics in America. The American media and political business models do. So that's all we hear about. But as we're learning through Ukraine and elsewhere, the world does not. And we better find a few things that rise above all that mess and rise above that noise that we can come together and agree on as a country, especially in our leadership, so that we can properly see the world and prepare for it. There's dangerous wolves out there that want to do us harm. And every time we pretend that they don't, we always, without exception, wind up getting bit good and hard. And then we react and rise to the occasion. But how many lives, how much money, how much pain and suffering could be avoided if we just pay attention to it in the first place? One thing that the Ukrainians are doing right now, like President Zelensky of Ukraine is doing, is he's holding up in stark contrast how feckless And unserious, a lot of leaders in a lot of places are, including here in America. Maybe we should stop electing people president and senator and into the House of Representatives and governors and even in our local school boards and county commissions and whatever else you want to say. Maybe we should stop electing people who promise to give us what we want. 
and start electing people that can govern and can lead because the people that give us what they want aren't going to be a big help if the sky starts falling or if somebody attacks us or if there's a crisis at hands. You better have some people that have some leadership skills, even if you don't agree with all their ideology, because the country and maybe even the world might depend on it. So, yes, when we talk about foreign policy failures, America's had a lot of them. And we could talk about the individual ones a lot. But the overarching theme is if we could have some cohesion and consistency, if we could agree on some base principles of what's important to us as a country and as a people that should rise above politics, a lot of the foreign a lot of the foreign policy problems we have would fix themselves. Like we always talk about on this program, if we could have some accountable government and have accountable citizens, boy, that'd fix a lot of our problems without having to use any fancy terminology. But we don't want to, but most of us aren't ready for that conversation. We're too busy sending cat pictures and downloading memes and making fun of the politicians on the other party like they're nothing and we're everything. We're a foolish people. And until we stop being foolish and grow up a little bit, the rest of the world is going to see us for what we are, not ready to be serious players in the world. More Hertel right after this. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. This is going to be fun. I haven't talked to him in a minute. Our friend Brady Leonard, uh, when there's not a pandemic, he does things with guitars and sings and what such. In the meantime, he does great work on the No Gimmicks podcast, which is the greatest podcast name of all time, the No Gimmicks podcast. Make sure you check that out. We're going to talk to him today as an Ohioan, and we're going to talk a little politics in Ohio. Brady, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, my friend. Thanks for having me. How's the hunting and fishing going? Well, it's February, so that's the no hunting, no fishing <laughs> month. It's uh. <laughs> that that uh, would be the joke. <laughs> yep, yep, and uh, and it's funny, man. My uh, my wife is already getting annoyed with me. She's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm looking forward, you know, and she she tried to put it diplomatically. She was like, you know, when you guys you're getting up at four in the morning and leaving, you know, all morning to hunt and fish, you know, I, you know, I kind of miss you doing that because I I'll work out, you know, I'll get an early morning, I'll, I'll get a good start to my day, and now you're just always here, so you're <laughs> distracting me. I'm like ah. Hey, the walleye run starting, you know, probably in the next week or two. So I'll be back out there. <laughs> Good deal. Um, that's probably more pleasant than what we're going to talk to you about today. Um, we have a midterm election coming up. We're also keeping an eye on the 2024 election over yonder horizon. Uh, Ohio is going to be one of them states that a lot of people are paying attention to. It's interesting, though, because the Ohio Senate primary for the GOP has really turned into kind of a case study on a lot of different things going on. Is it as big of a cluster dumpster fire from there as it looks in the national media? Are they misportraying it? Or is this really a race to the bottom of a bunch of people that all sound the same? <laughs> well, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Ohio has a lot of talented Republicans. Um, Ohio's kind of known, the, the Ohio GOP is, is a really strong state party, and they're known for having a deep bench. Um, that's not necessarily what, what we're what we're seeing this time, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not happy with the slate of candidates we've got right now. And it's funny, like I, I'm looking forward to more polling data coming out. There hasn't been as much so far as I thought. Uh, the, the latest major poll is the Trafalgar poll from, I believe it was the, the 9th or the 10th of this month um, that showed Mandel up, I think, five points over Mike Givens with uh, Vance and, and Timken behind. Another poll that same week um, was, I think it was 
Quinnipiac, not sure. You can fact check me on that, but it had Gibbons up by a couple points. And then Gibbons internals had him up big, but, you know, take internal polling with a grain of salt. But, um, yeah, I'm looking for it's it's tough to tell kind of where the the race is at right now. I'm I'm personally rooting for Gibbons, but I'm looking forward to to seeing some more polling data. I, I have to imagine the next few weeks we'll start seeing more. Yeah, I think so too. Let's just start with him since you brought him up. The other three folks have been getting uh, more attention. Timken was kind of the early person for some of the establishment folks. Uh, J.D. Vance is probably the most known nationally. Um, of course, Mandel's on his third shot at a Senate. But we were talking a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to talk out of school here, but you were the one that told me weeks and weeks ago, like, hey, pay attention to Gibbons with all the rest of this mess and the way this is just kind of turned into a clown show among those other three candidates. Gibbons is kind of getting traction by just being a normal Catholic Ohio dude talking about normal Catholic Ohio things. Yeah, I mean, he's he's uh, he's running a really good campaign and he is campaigning as the normal, normal human being. You know, he's a he's a wealthy businessman. He's running as the political outsider. Um, he's Catholic, large Catholic population in Ohio, obviously coaches youth football. He's coached football his whole life. You know, uh, there's there's a uh, there's a few football fans in the state. Um, and so I, I, I kind of saw right away that, you know, in, in nowadays when the entire world's gone crazy, that if you run as a normal person, that's going to resonate to a lot of people and um, every other candidate. And we'll get more into this in a second, I'm sure, but every other candidate's making the entire thing about Donald Trump. It's like every other word out of their mouth is, is about Trump and Gibbons. He like, he'll, he will throw like a pro Trump thing into his ads. You know, I'm tough, just like Donald Trump. I think he has like a consultant that told him he has to do that for some reason. But, uh, you know, the other candidates, uh, it's like they're running to take Donald Trump, the prom, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not running to represent Ohio in the U S Senate. So, and, and Gibbons on the, on the campaign trail, all his stump speeches, he's not going hard on the Trump stuff. He's not, he's not playing that whole game. He's just being himself. And yeah, he's the only candidate to, to me, um, who's concerned with, you know, introducing Ohioans to him as a person, not just, Hey, look at me, look how pro Trump I am. Yeah. Talking to Brady Leonard, host of the no gimmick podcast and a proud Ohioan. Let's talk about that though, because it's very interesting to me. One of the reasons they're spending so much time trying to out Trump each other is because Trump hasn't done an endorsement yet. This this really strikes me as odd, though, because he endorsed in the North Carolina Senate really really early. He jumped on Ted Budd, which kind of shocked everybody. He's endorsed in Georgia. Uh, he has rallied in Ohio recently. He's endorsed in the House races. Uh, the opponent for Anthony Gonzalez, of course, that's personal because he voted for impeachment. Why hasn't he gotten into this? This seems really strange. Or do you think he's just enjoying the feeding frenzy or is Ohio just not on his radar as much as maybe uh, Georgia or one of these other states? What do you think it is that's keeping him out? I have to imagine he's enjoying the feeding frenzy. I mean, come on. No, I've never met Donald Trump, Andrew, but from what we know, we both know about the man. <laughs> I have to imagine he's uh, he's enjoying the sycophantic love affair that these candidates are uh, are lavishing on him. Um you know, particularly the the guy who was known as the front runner this whole time, Josh Mandel, um, has made his entire. It, and uh, you you probably know you remember this from his previous runs, but he was this like his his whole political identity was, um, you know, I'm this combat veteran, this young guy, conservative. You know, he was kind of like he he was running to be like a Tom Cotton. You know what I mean? Somebody along those lines, and then he changes his entire 
personality <laughs> and public persona and makes it all about Donald Trump. And it's so strange. I mean, maybe Trump was even as much as Trump loves people saying nice things about him. Maybe he even thought that was a little cringeworthy. Yeah, I remember probably, th- probably not. But there was a joke. I forget who said it online or I'd cite it. But there was a joke about the old. And now this is the old Josh Mandel, not the current version that um, <laughs> he was a stereotypical uh, National Review intern, but without all the pizzazz. That was kind of the book on him. That man has gone hardcore, um, Donald Trump. Now, he's had a couple interesting things happen. He dropped out of his last race for really ambiguous reasons. He talked about, you know, family issues, things like that. He went through a divorce. I'm not going to get into that. People want to talk about it, they can, but I'm, people's divorces and stuff, especially when it involves kids, I'd rather just leave it's that not, alone. Not, it is. Not, not my business. Yeah. yeah, not my business. I'll leave that for what it is. But when he came back this time, it's all culture war stuff to the to the point of absurdity. Remember him swearing he was never going to take his Cleveland Indian hat off, which we haven't seen since. <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. What happened to this guy? Is this an audience capture thing where he just that's his one way to get there? This is his third try at the Senate seat. Is this desperation? It, did Trump just break him? Is he out of options? He's a young guy. I think he's what 41, 42, something like this. If that, yeah. This is this is quite the transformation. Is there any explanation for it? Yeah, it's got to be just desperation. You know, he um he was going to win. He was going to beat Sherrod Brown. He was up five points or so, um, even in a tough year for Republicans. Um, but yeah, and then he did drop out due to personal issues. He's like you mentioned, we don't need to get into that here. But I, I will say this. He's somebody that I couldn't vote for personally because of those personal issues. But that's just my own personal convictions. But um, yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know why I, I guess desperation, but you know, just the audience knows if you're not familiar with Ohio politics, like that would be his bizarre change of worldviews and personalities would be as extreme as if like Tom Cotton or James Lankford or one of these like middle of the road kind of establishment type Republicans just went into his closet, walked out with orange skin and a toupee and started talking about the Southern border all the time. I mean, it's like, it does not, it, it's just a, a, a 180 degree change from everything he's talked about. And he's been in, you know, Ohio politics since he was like in his late twenties, I think, you know, maybe 30 ish. It's been a yeah. decade at least. I was so going to say, wasn't you know, he like state treasurer when he was, he was like the youngest state treasurer or something. He was, I he was think, like was he 29 30 or 30. Yet? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think amazing. Yeah. He was yeah. a wonder kid. And now I guess he's having a midlife crisis. Now it's this. It's just bizarre. Even by Trump standards and the way he breaks people left and right for and against, the, the man just tends to break people. Even by that standard, this has just been bizarre to watch. The thing is, and and J.D. Vance, I'll throw into that same category. Th- those two gentlemen have fallen into, I, and this is my personal theory, they've, that they've fallen into the trap that people on both sides get fall into this trap. Um, you see it a lot more with Democrats. Um, you, you see, you're seeing it right now a lot with uh, the messaging of the Biden administration. They, it looks like they're they're trying to govern for like their base on Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll be like a lot of culture war stuff and orange man bad stuff and highlighting like transgender rights issues all the time. And normal people are like, "Hey, I'm paying five bucks a gallon for gas. I can't afford meat," and you know all of this. And it's like I think that that's the trap that JD Vance and Josh Mandel have fallen into. They're, it's all like the Trumpy stuff. It's like build the wall in Arizona and break up Amazon <laughs> and like, and all of this stuff. And it's like, that is just not, I mean, we can, I'm not even talking for or against securing the border or big tech or any, I, I, that's a debate for another day. But like, these are not issues that are on the minds of most 
Ohioans, like illegal immigration is not an issue that matters to 99% of Ohio voters. And honestly, that, and I'm sorry to say this, if you've been to Ohio, you know, the people that are most passionate about illegal immigration are the farmers that need illegal immigrants to harvest their crops every fall. Okay. So it's like, that is just not an issue that's going to persuade a lot of Ohioans. And it's like, they're playing to like the conservative Twitter base, not the actual voter base in the state that they're trying to win. Yeah. And the reason for that is fundraising. We know that we're talking to Brady. Leonard. Yeah. When we come back on her tell, we're going to get into the well-documented on this program because y'all know how I feel about him. J.D. Vance uh, going to talk a little bit more about why Ohio is such a paid attention to uh, bellwethers overused, but Ohio really is in a lot of cases. We're going to talk more with that. Ohio Politics with Brady Leonard of the No Gimmicks podcast right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell, talking some Ohio politics with our buddy Brady Leonard. It's been way too long. Appreciate you being with us today, buddy. You brought him up, so we have to talk about him because I don't like talking about him because I prefer to just pretend he doesn't exist. But J.D. Vance is running for Senate. It is an interesting case study, though, because he probably has the highest national name recognition because of that stupid book he wrote and because of his plugged inness. because we, we famously know that Peter Thiel gave him $10 million to go run for Senate in Ohio. Really? But, it was, yeah. He gave him 10 million, huh? Yeah, go figure. Um, but, you know, let's rail against big tech. Okay. Um, <laughs> another oh, s- discussion for another day, but this has not gone well for the erstwhile uh, defender of all things Appalachia, has it? No, man, Peter Thiel, God bless him. He's been burning through a lot of money, man. I don't know why you and I don't see any of it. Like, if he wants to waste some cash, man, I can. Think and of people keep telling of, me I'm a shill for this, that, and the other. And I'm like, dude, I will queue up in the line for the money. I, that VA <laughs> check only goes so far, but I never see any of it. I'm a libertarian. I've been waiting on my Koch brothers' money my entire life, man. It just hasn't shown up yet. <laughs> Got lost in the mail, I believe. But yeah, I, I, like you said, he's, he's playing for the fundraisers. See, if I didn't know he had, I knew he got millions from, from, from big donors. I didn't know it was 10 million. I don't know why he's so desperate to campaign for the fundraisers then, but juxtapose that with Gibbons, who is a self-made man. And he, I I believe he wrote himself a check for 12 million. Um, I don't even know if, I don't even know if the guy's fundraising, I think he's worth, um, if not nine figures somewhere close to there. So he doesn't need to, to play that game, but yeah, I mean, Vance, uh, in all polling I've seen is, is never made it above third, um, behind Mandel and Gibbons. Um, his ads are bad. Um, it's a bizarre turn too, because he did make all these comments that the Trump people hate, you know, calling Trump an idiot and all that in 2016. And, and now he's backtracking saying how much he loves Trump and all that. And it's like, man, I just, he's not fighting. He, I mean, he's, he's giving his opponents ammo. He's campaigning and, and raising money out of the state. He's flip-flopping on Trump and everything else. He's not talking about issues that really matter to Ohioans. And it's like, it's, it's a bizarre campaign. It's, I don't know who's running the campaign, but nobody too intelligent from where I'm sitting. And uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've never read the book. I never saw the TV show. I, uh, I, don't, I, uh, I, I see your disdain for, for the, the man, and maybe that has pushed me against ever uh, reading too much into him. But um, he's not, he's honestly, he's not a candidate that... Um, that I take too seriously. I don't think he really has too much of a chance. And honestly, I, I have to say, um, I do live in a major media market in Toledo and Ohio. I mean, as far as Ohio goes, I'm <laughs> a major media market. Um, and the Vance ads have not been around very much. I, I, 
people have been saying he might even be running out of money. So, which is fascinating. I he burned through 10 million already, but yeah, I don't think his ads have been effective. He hasn't really jumped up ever in, in the polling. And, uh, yeah, I, I, Timken too. I, I, I don't think she has too much of a chance. I really think it is going to come down to uh, Josh Mandel or, or Mike Gibbons. I'll tell you where that money goes because about, uh, let's see, back 1st of February, Politico got their hands on this internal uh, PowerPoint slide deck from the Vance campaign of everything that was going wrong. It's a 98-page PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm a professional writer. I ain't doing a 98-page slide. I don't think I've ever done a 98-page slide deck for anything ever in my life because about 10 or 12 and I'm done. And now A 12-slide deck, that's an hour right there. Obviously, there's a lot of overhead to his campaign. If you've got internal people doing crap like this. However, that 98-page PowerPoint uh, that was leaked had some really dire numbers that he is just not getting any traction at all. Um, when he does wade into the cultural stuff, he's really bad at it. Last week, he took a run at Barry Caffrey, of all people, uh, calling him a cocktail general. And so, like, listen, we have some of those. Barry Caffrey is not one of them. He has three Purple Hearts, a Distinguished Service Cross, Two of his kids served. His grandkids are serving now. That's not the guy to take a run at that. He, that's the leader of the famous left hook in Desert Storm, one of the great military maneuvers of all. Like, dude, can you not Google somebody before you go shooting all of it? Like, he's just tone death bad at some of this culture warring stuff. And him and Mandel have the same problem. Is it's it's like there's it's it's almost like they're speaking a second or third language, and all the jokes have the wrong high points when they try to do this, isn't it? Because it just yeah. all lands cringe, doesn't it? Yeah, Vance, Vance especially, it seems like he does speak conservative or Republican as a second language. And you saw it, and it was it was a pretty nasty comment about the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine the other day, where J.D. Vance, he just, he doesn't quite get it. He doesn't get how to, like, he thinks he's he's espousing these positions that conservatives agree with when he's really not. And so when, when the Russians moved into Ukraine, he tweets something or puts out a statement along i'm paraphrasing here but uh it was along the lines of lol who cares about ukraine let's worry about the southern border or something like that and it's like all right hey man um i'm as anti-war as it gets <laughs> i'm a pretty radical libertarian personally but uh what what do you what do you mean you sound like a sociopath you're saying you do not care what happens to ukrainian women and children because that is something a sociopath would say uh you should at least be praying for peace in ukraine um and that's you know obviously i would never advocate for sending american men and women over there but um you you can be against military action and still pray for peace you can still ca- I, I care about ukrainians because i'm not a, a psychopath and so like he'll just he puts out these Twitter takes in as in, on letterheads, you know what I mean? Um, and it just, it just rings flat, man, especially one Ohio has a, a massive Ukrainian population too. And that's, so that's, that's not going to help them, um, especially in Eastern Ohio. But, um, yeah, it's, he just swings and misses at every single one of these issues. It seems like, yeah, that's the first thing that hit me. I'm like, you know, I got family up around Youngstown. I'm like, there's a lot of Ukrainians in Northern Ohio. What do you like? Just oh, yeah. politically, that's a really, and, and the, the other thing is, is a lot of European descendants, they tend to have a little bit of solidarity as immigrants, like, you know, the Czech folks, the Polish folks, that stuff lands hard when you start going after somebody like that. They, they're just not going to like that sort of thing. No, no. I mean, Toledo is a massive Polish population. They're not going to like that at all. It's like he, and it's just, it's, it's all Twitter, man. I mean, it, this is the day and age we're in and it's not just, these guys, and it's not just the left or the right, they all get trapped into playing for their Twitter followers. I mean, you see 
I mean, anytime there's a presidential primary, you saw it with the Republicans in 16, the Democrats in 20. It's like every debate, it's like they're trying to win with these Twitter takes that just land flat. It's like, guys, you're campaigning in Iowa. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you just can't do like the Green New Deal stuff or, you know, like you're, you're campaigning in Ohio. You can't say you don't care what happens to Ukrainian civilians. It's like it's it's so bizarre. And it's Ohio, man, it's, it's a funny state. Like it's they don't necessarily go along with the uh, the trends in each party. Um, especially the Republicans, like they don't, you know, like Mike DeWine's the governor. He's not a traditional Republican in terms of what you would consider a traditional Republican in 2022, a more like, you know, populist or libertarian or, you know, Trumpy, like he's none of those things. He's like an old school guy, Senator Portman, Portman, an old school 90s Republican kind of guy. It's like Ohioans, they don't go along with the national trends in terms of where each party is headed all the time. And I think, uh, you know, I think J.D. Vance, he's really running into that and running into that buzzsaw headfirst right now. Yeah. And Brady Leonard, we're talking to kind of to wrap this up and bring it back to Ohio. One of the one of the most interesting things, and I'm a little biased because I've got family in Youngstown. That's the Donaldson's spell the name wrong because they stayed Irish Catholic. That's another debate. for another day. <laughs> um, the We're kidding. We love y'all, all y'all up around, you know, uh, all y'all in Long Mahoning Avenue down there in Austin town. We love you. Um, but somewhere like Mahoning County, uh, Youngstown economically devastated one of the biggest swing counties from bush to obama to trump back to biden that goes exactly what you're saying is these are in these are engaged voters as in they don't just show up and punch the ticket whatever's happening affects how they go to the polls and that's why ohio is such a much watched state election after election isn't it yeah yeah absolutely and and I, I really think that is why a guy with I think Gibbons started this race with something like five percent name recognition. He ran briefly. Um, was it two or four years ago? I can't remember. But uh, he dropped out. He never got any traction. And but he's talking about jobs. He's talking about the economy. He's talking about you know Biden's failings economically. He's talking about you know bringing you know, factories back and all that. And he's talking about the COVID stuff and how, you know, Fauci's no good and all that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's what you're worried about if you're an Ohioan, the, the COVID-19 stuff. Um, if you're a Republican, you're probably worried about the government overreach regarding COVID-19. You're worried about your job. You're worried about the factories closing and all that. And it's like, I, I that's why in one, you know, you and I both, I think, tend to root for the good guy. And I think in terms of uh, the quality of human beings in this race, I'd say that uh, Gibbons would qualify as, as, as that. Um, but yeah, it's it, everybody else just seems tone deaf when there are glaring issues. It, like it, it's, it's so funny to me too, just going back to both Mandel and Vance. It's like, man, it's a great time to run for office as a Republican. I mean, Joe Biden's approval ratings is in the, the low forties, high thirties, um, you know, direction of the country is in like the, the, the teens, low twenties. I mean, there's a lot of issues you can talk about, and they're not. I mean, most of these candidates just aren't. Um, so it's it's bizarre. I mean, it seems like if I were running these gentlemen's campaigns, uh, it, it doesn't seem hard to steer a candidate into issues that would be very favorable for them. Brady Leonard, uh, you do good work, sir. Uh, you were one of the first podcasts I ever went on, so I'll publicly thank you because you gave me the rare endorsement of like, hey, I don't tell people to go do a podcast, but you need to go do a podcast. So thank you for that blessing and curse. You're um, one of two people I've ever said that to, my friend. <laughs> so how are we doing? We doing okay with it? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you do good work. Let people know where they can find the, the uh, No Gimmicks podcast, the other stuff you do. You do a spot of writing from time to time, and you've been known to strum a guitar and at least chord the thing from time to time. Let folks know what you got going on, my friend. 
Yeah, absolutely. Follow me on Twitter at Brady Leonard. I mean, check out my band. We're called Southbound Fearing, you know, wherever you get your music. Um, subscribe to my podcast, the No Gimmicks Podcast, 1 p.m. every Monday and Wednesday, uh, wherever podcasts are found, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Um, and yeah, I also write for uh, The Catalyst over at Independent Institute from time to time. So check them out as well. Yep. And the No Gimmicks is actually from his band name. It's just good old fashioned, straightforward rock and roll. Good stuff. I've listened to it. Uh, highly recommended if you can find it. Brady Leonard, thank you for your time, sir. We will definitely do this again. We're not going to wait two years to get together again next time. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. Thanks, buddy. Welcome back to Hertel. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Appreciate you staying with us and sharing us and watching us wherever you are. Sure appreciate you doing so. Quick update. Uh, the State of the Union is coming up. Uh, we know what the State of the Union is. It's mostly a dog and pony show with an hour-long speech attached. Uh, I wish it was shorter. Originally, you just wrote a letter and sent it to Congress. I wish they'd go back to it, but primetime TV time is hard for a politician to pass up. So we're going to go back to the dog and pony show this year. Last year's non-State of the Union State of the Union address a uh, lot's changed in a year. I want to just kind of preface how we're going to cover this a couple of ways. I don't think the State of the Union is terribly important. I think it's a lot of noise. It fills a lot of time. I think it will be very low in the ratings. And I think nothing that is said is going to really matter that much. Now, President Biden has a few things going. He's going to want to tout his Supreme Court nominee pick, uh, Judge Jackson. Uh, we are waiting. Uh, our friend M. Carpenter over at Ordinary Times is working up her deep dive, just like she did with Amy Comey Barrett on the actual case law, and we will address that when that comes out. But setting that part aside, uh, this is a president that desperately is going to try to change the subject. Here's the truth of all this. No president has ever increased his public approval rating between January and November in a midterm election year. Uh, it doesn't mean you might not pull something out. Uh, Bill Clinton will manage to pull out a couple of seats for his party, but that was because the impeachment was lingering and was very unpopular in the country. Look, a lot can happen between now and November, but as of right now, President Biden's approval rating is very, very low. And when the president's approval rating is low and you have historic and cyclical trends that the out of power party is very well in the midterm, this is looking like it's going to be a very, very bad election season for the Democrats. So President Biden's going to want to use the State of the Union to try to reset, to try to change the subject, try to get the conversation back on a few things he wants to talk about. It's going to be hard. We have Ukraine in the news. Uh, the Supreme Court pick is not getting the traction that he probably thought it was going to. Um, there's going to be the usual caterwaulings from the corner, but the outcome is not in doubt here. There's no major red flags. She is a liberal progressive justice in the medium vein of that wing of the court. I don't see any real reason for them to oppose this nomination other than just the politics of it, which they will do. But there's no red flags here. There's nothing major. She's going to get approved. It's going to be a pretty smooth process, relatively speaking, especially compared to the Kavanaugh hearings, which are just brutal. So I don't know that he's going to get the bump out of that he normally would have. I just don't think this State of the Union speech is going to matter that much. Of course, it's Joe Biden. We could always have a gaffe or something like that. But he usually rises to the occasion for these things. I'm sure it'll be well written. I'm sure it'll be long. I'm sure it'll be sleep inducing. And I'm sure nobody will remember anything from it three weeks from now. That's my prediction on the State of the Union. It's on tape. You can hold me to it. We'll cover it after the fact. If we're wrong, we'll say so. But that's how we're going to cover the upcoming State of the Union. Uh, more Hertel right after this. Hi, welcome back to Hertel. All right, folks, we always try to end on a good and happy note. 
We're going to do it today. And if you think I mispronounce words anyway, you're in for a treat now because I'm going to mispronounce a whole bunch of them because we're going out to Hawaii, the islands of Hawaii, America's 50th state, one of the most beautiful places on earth, which also has places that are really, really hard for a hillbilly tongue to pronounce. But we're going to do our best with it because this is a great story. Uh, Honolulu from the Hawaii News Service, uh, hawaiinewsnow.com. In Hawaiian islands of Honukawa, again, this is going to be a little rough. Just bear with me. A group of tireless volunteers prepares a new batch of meals weekly for those in need. Quote, in a rural community, there's always some level of food insecurity, said Ann Kroger, a longtime Hanukkah food program volunteer. By the way, Hawaii is known for its tourism and beauty. There is also a lot of abject poverty and people that are disenfranchised, that are disadvantaged and need a whole lot of help. There's a lot of poverty on Hawaii. It's something that's a known issue. So don't just get all the gillets and glam of the beaches. There's people that are suffering. That's one of the reasons we want to cover the story. Back to the piece. Kroger is among the team that's provided free meals to the community every Friday at the Hanukkah Hangawanji Buddhist Temple. I'm hoping I'm saying this right. But the efforts initially started in 2019 to assess Kupuana and Kaiki. But that need exploded when the coronavirus pandemic arrived. Over the last three years, the program has distributed an estimated 35,000 meals. All those in need have to do is show up. No questions asked. Quote, the food is one of the biggest stresses in the family, said Mahalani Maaki, uh, the Hamaku Youth Center Program Director. It stresses families. Finances stresses families. And some of them don't make enough to get subsidies. So this program doesn't discriminate. You need food. Come get food. Even with case counts and restrictions dropping, program organizers say they continue to see many residents impacted by the pandemic's economic effects. It's honestly a huge help, said Dar- Dargatanian, a Hokano resident who benefits from the food initiative. We got somebody staying with us for a little while, and truth be told, gas and expenses for utilities and everything. With inflation, the economy is getting very bad too. my job, as well as the job of others. It's just getting to be kind of debilitating at times. To keep stomachs full, the team at the Hanukkah also provides weekly grocery bags and with or without COVID, they'll be there to help. Quote, a lot of people want to know what's coming up. Kroger said, sometimes I know, sometimes I don't, but all the meals are popular for different reasons. To get a plate or groceries, reach out to the Hanukkah Hangawanji Buddhist Temple. Now I'm a Baptist, but one thing Baptists do good is we do food. My dad used to always say when it came to church meetings, he's like, have when in doubt, put food in front of them. Kind of hard for folks to fuss and fight when they're eating. So some universal, don't know a lot about Buddhism, but they're onto something. Feed people. You can get a lot of their other needs later. Feed them first, and you've taken care of the something that everybody needs to do. It's one of the reasons I write about food so much. One of the reasons we cover food a lot in this last segment. It's universal. No matter who you are, you can give somebody a little bit of food, provide them some food, make sure they're fed. It's one of the most basic human needs, and it goes a long, long way towards helping other people. Happy to cover that. Good for them out in Hawaii. That'll do it for her tell for this Monday. A lot of stuff going on in the world. We're going to continue to do our best to turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the information we need, talk about it in a grown folk way, have knowledgeable guests on. We're very proud of our little program. We've seen more sustained growth. Subscriptions are up wherever you're watching or listening, whether you're watching on the Facebook channel for Big Talker Network that's been redone. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, which is well over 100 subscribers now, appreciate that. If you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google, any of the podcast aggregators, uh, we see those numbers. We appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe. Very important. You'll get Herd Tell every weekday morning. You'll get the Good Talk interview segments with our guests 
every afternoon, long form podcast when we do a deep dive onto a subject. And we now have a very deep archive of shows, both weekly and we're over 36 of the long form podcast. That's a lot of content for you. Only costs you a couple of clicks. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of it. Leave a rating and a comment. That's very important. As you saw on today's show, we may even use it to fill in the show and talk about what you want to talk about because this is a partnership. And if all else fails, if you really want to do us a favor, uh, click that share button on whatever platform you're watching or listening on. Put us out on your social media. Let people know we don't pay for advertising. It's all word of mouth and what we do on social media. You folks have responded and we appreciate you greatly. As long as you keep listening and watching, we're going to keep doing it. And we thank you very much for your time and attention. It's the most precious thing you have. We're never going to waste it. We're always going to give you the best information we can. So until we do it again tomorrow, wherever you and yours are, across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we'll talk to you tomorrow on Hertel. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.